0: Good morning. Good morning. So beautiful sitting with the wind encouraging us. Who are you? But some of you want to hear something besides that. So, I will add to my evil karma and speak. The other night, Friday, we had a film here called Amongst White Clouds. And uh, about six or seven of you who are here today attended. Not long after I got home, I received an email from one of you saying, I was so inspired. I must. give everything to this practice or something along those lines. And indeed, the film is really an important one for anyone who is embarking upon this way. To say it's about Buddhist hermit monks in the most remote mountains of China really is the flattest kind of description. And these mountains are anything but flat. The young man who made the film, Edward Berger, a young American director who had the idea that he wanted to film these Buddhist termites in their hidden away retreats, took on quite a remarkable journey of his own, learning Chinese, of course, not so easy, and climbing trails that were barely passable. At times, he was warned, it's easy to fall off this mountain. And still, what he brought with him In interviewing these hermit monks, was a very typical Western dualistic uh, kind of bumpkin approach, asking all kinds of questions that were really quite funny to the people who were responding kindly. And there were a number of teachings that were given by these monks. And because he was able to meet with them, we are the beneficiaries. So I'm very Sorry that you all weren't able to be there. We're trying to do Buddhist teaching film series. So there'll be Fridays, most maybe monthly or semi-monthly. And I really encourage you to attend. Film is a wonderful medium and can really help a lot in conveying something, in inspiring us. And to watch this film of hermits, you know, at 15,000 feet or whatever, one might think, well, I'm certainly not going to be uh, giving my future over to being a hermit monk. And so what can this possibly say to me? But if you really want to practice Zen, if you really want to be a Buddhist practitioner, I think that the perceived difference between being in Syracuse and leading a a life of mostly secular concerns and having a practice alongside really can shift. We often hear the words, give yourself to the dharma. how many of us do so? And how many of us think, well, I can't really do it because I can't go away to a monastery and I can't go and become a hermit. So all I can really do is pay lip service to the Buddha's teachings and maybe find a little more uh, calm and a spiritual comfort in my life. And this is really a very pre- prevalent view among practitioners. But it doesn't work that way. Some of you are perhaps here for the first time or the 19th time. Others are here for so many times you can't possibly count. Started practicing 20 years ago or more. But everyone, I think, really needs to be reminded that we are given an injunction by Buddha's teachings. if we really want to do this, we have to do it wholeheartedly. One of the things that came across in the film so well was the way work is practice. And in fact, one of the teachers, or more than one, said as much as he or she was pounding away at rocks with another rock to make uh, a hut or putting little plants in a garden, working very hard, trying to bring water up from a spring, whatever they were doing. It was so clear that the work was the practice. And when sitting, they sat with the same fervor. It's very rare when I look around to see someone doing something here at ONG taking care of something doing work. It's very rare to see someone whose practice informs every single movement. So things get scattered about. So there's a flurry of activity achieving no real purpose. So people feel unheard. So people feel dismissed. Because no one is really paying attention. To live the life of a hermit right here in Syracuse is our responsibility. By that, I don't mean ignoring or turning your back on those in your life. I mean really being one with every being you encounter. Everything in Bodhisattva's vow, earlier we chanted, This realization made our ancestral teachers and virtuous Zen masters extend tender care with a worshipping heart, even to such beings as beasts and birds. This extends to Xeroxing something, filing something, making a phone call about something. This realization teaches us that our daily food and drink, clothes and protections of life are the warm flesh and blood, the merciful incarnation of Buddha. This is not, you know, um, talking in terms of Christian sacrament, okay? It means right here, Nirmanakaya, this Buddha body. Not just Shakyamuni Buddha living 2,500 years ago. This merciful incarnation of Buddha right here. Who can be ungrateful or not respectful even to senseless things even to what we regard as an insentient being. How can we assume such a thing as an insentient being from our privileged position as humans? This is truly a privileged position, by the way. If you really understand privilege, how fortunate we are. But it doesn't give you this right to feel superior, all right? So in the film also, one Mm -hmm. of the hermits said, you know, we're given this human form. What do we do with it? We must exert every ounce of our energy to become Buddha. Yes, we chant, sentient beings are primarily all Buddha. But to truly become the Buddha you are, this is why we're here in this body. All right? Not just to hang out until something better comes along. What? Tushita heaven? Hang out? R&R? This very body is the body of the Buddha. You have to wake up to this. It's an urgent matter. Everything we do is the opportunity to wake up to this. Yesterday we had a wonderful class, moving meditation with Song Yun. I really encourage you, if you can possibly be here at 10.30 on Saturday mornings, to have stillness in motion. That means instead of dashing around, dropping papers as you go, to really see each paper is nothing but the merciful incarnation of Buddha. Stillness in movement. Movement in stillness to feel this as we did yesterday tai chi oriented meditation and movement so no separation between movement and meditation between work and sitting between stillness and movement. To think about these hermits from a dualistic perspective, we see all these people are going off into the wilderness to live lives of purity, away from secular concerns, and uh, must be really wonderful, and to actually see this film and realize that, in fact, it's extremely difficult. They speak often of hardship and bitterness. It's not a romantic thing to go off and do this. And I want to tell you that your practice is just the same. To make a commitment, to have a vow. What is your vow? Here? Why do you come to the Zen Center? Anybody? Wanna answer? To help all beings. To help all living beings. How will you help them? Hmm? First, wake up. Wake up. So, in this film, over and over, the urgency of waking up, becoming the Buddha that you are, is paramount. And here in our practice, at not much above sea, sea level, right? How many feet is Syracuse above sea level? So 400 feet or 14,000 feet, this is not the point. If you give yourself to the Dharma, the Dharma will give itself to you. You can't help it. Then... Whomever you encounter such beings as beasts and birds, you can't help it. They are, of course, being helped. But if you think, I'm going to practice Azen so that I can help all beings, watch out. Are many serious problems in that statement? What uh, we notice in the life of these hermits, and what we notice in a life of committed Buddhist practice, is quite similar. Differing by degree, okay, sameness and differentiation, of course, 14,000 feet, 400 feet, of course. And yet, what are we committing to when we take on this practice? We might say, just as becoming a hermit, we are committing ourselves to a life of hardship. Some of you may feel hearing this that this is not the place to be. I totally understand. Don't worry, we have a wonderful expression. With the readiness of time. But we have to sacrifice comfort in this practice, right? Just very simply, you sit down, and about five minutes or 10 minutes or 25 minutes into the sitting, what happens? Yeah, there's something wrong we think, right? This is not supposed to be this way. I should feel comfortable. And so most of our lives on the cushion and off it are devoted to what? Changing our circumstances, right? But guess what? The real circumstances of our lives, we can't change. Anyone who lives with chronic pain, anyone who has experienced a long and severe illness knows this. You can do some, what would the word be, remediation, but you can't really do much about the external circumstances what you can do. This is really what this practice is all about, because we are all heading toward some circumstance beyond our control, if we haven't experienced that already. By the way, parenthetically, I saw another film last night that I recommend called The Savages it's out at Manlius the most uncomfortable movie theater in town (laughs) speaking of sacrificing comfort (laughs) it's well worth seeing what's it like to be facing death what's it like not to have control of your circumstances whatsoever that's not all the film is about, but one aspect. At one point, this Edward Berger asked uh, something like, looking out, you know, amazing views, of course, from these high mountains, and
1: beautiful
0: peaks and valleys and mists and clouds. He asked something like, um, So, uh, is your practice inspired by nature? (laughs) And the response is something like, what is nature? Again, we are so given to seeing something out there. You know, we're engaged in the green revolution now. Let's protect what's out there. Where is nature? What is nature? What is true nature? To see the vastness as something out there. In general, this um, questioner, this interviewer, reminded me of Tad Weiss in Circling the Sacred Mountain, another book that I really recommend as highly as I do this film, uh, about going off to Mount Kailash with Robert Thurman, who was teaching on the great Tibetan text, The Blade Wheel of Mind Reform*. This may be a Tibetan text, but it is exactly what our practice is about. To welcome this blade wheel cutting through our delusions. This is exactly what we mean by welcoming hardship Welcoming bitterness. The bitter taste of tea. The bitter taste of hard practice. As one of the hermits said, results in such sweetness. I spoke earlier of the reality that all of us will face about difficult circumstances, particularly regarding something like chronic pain or some physical uh, weakness or disability. And I was thinking, you know, when you're young and able-bodied, there is a very subtle yet insidious sense of superiority. I remember this from my own life living at Dabasatsu Zendo as 30-something. And when people would come, some elderly people would come, everybody had this kind of lip service to compassion. And yet underneath, there was this kind of current of uh, dismissiveness or disrespect. We have to be really honest with ourselves. How this question, who can be ungrateful or not respectful, even to senseless things, not to speak of a man or a woman. and to see our so-called misfortune as we get older things are not so working so well some people who are young who encounter some difficulty like this to see oh this is this is my teacher no smugness toward others, but to see, oh, they can teach me. And to vow to work with what is difficult for us. To see, oh, this is, I'm so lucky. To bow down with humble words and the reverent belief that this unfortunate, quote-unquote, circumstance is the merciful avatar of Buddha. This is our way of being emancipated from our own karmic negativity, that has been produced and accumulated upon ourselves by our own egotistic delusion and attachment. The more we sit, the more we see, right? So the less we can say, oh, it's their fault, the less we feel the need to justify Well, I was doing this because I had to, you know, this kind of thing. Mm, Drives me crazy. No one likes to be having something pointed out to them. But if you take this practice on seriously, hardship, bitterness... Must be willingly engaged. Then, Bodhisattva's vow goes on in each moment's flash of our thought. What is each moment's flash of our thought? Normally, we experience each moment's flash of our thought as what? Intrusive, distracting conditions that arise that keep us from truly being the sound of the wind, this breath. But if we understand. Any condition we don't like is the way, the teacher. Instead of moving away from it, what do we do? Instead of trying to find some small comfort within the discomfort, what do we do? face it, to experience it, to see that it has been produced and accumulated upon ourselves. To really look into it and see the teaching in it. Not always hankering after something else. Not thinking, oh, if I could just get through this get out of here I'll be okay you can think that it's okay but then come back this is really the meaning of Buddhist practice whatever running away thoughts come that's okay it's natural but come back alright so we say when we teach meditation what do we say Return to one, right? No matter how many times you try counting your exhalations from one to ten, you find your mind drifting off. Maybe you get to three. Maybe you get to 33. Oh, wait a minute. I was supposed to return to one after getting to ten. When was that? Don't worry about it. That's the point. Return to one right then and there. So this returning is what we mean by doing true practice. Return to this. Don't hanker after that. Don't think there's some way to feel better. This is it. So, Buddhist practice takes what? Determination, courage, guts, persistence, assiduity. And as I keep saying without using the word gratitude, For the teachings that arise that we don't like. Thinking always, oh, I'd prefer this. Or when will I finally get that? And realizing that's the circling around. Go directly through. Cut through. This is the blade wheel of mind reform. All right. Reform. I know this is not a popular kind of talk. There are many, many, many places and many, many people who can speak to the easy way. And our culture is poison. By this addiction to the easy way out, and if, therefore, people do their work in what my stepfather used to call a half-assed way. Take up what you're doing as nothing but the Buddha. Think, okay, what do you have to say? And what do you have to hear to really be present? Don't make assumptions. Everyone feels overwhelmed, I'm sure, by all kinds of things. Life is difficult. And so we have this romantic idea, well, "I'll go be a hermit. I can get away from all this difficulty, right? Try it here in your own practice. We're being supported by everything. How can we do anything but our utmost to requite this support? We may call it teachings of wise masters, we may call it nature. We may call it the wind, but we are all being supported by it. If we really stop running around like headless chickens really commit ourselves to it this is the only way think about shakyamuni buddha what did he do took such commitment Just sit down and say, that's it. No matter what. And that's all we're asked to do. It's really simple. And we have each other. help us but be careful that you don't seek out help as a way of avoiding the necessary hermit within and be careful that you don't offer help that is in some way distraction or even affliction to others hermit within. So I will end with a little story from The Cave of Poison Grass by Sekan Hasegawa about assiduity. This is about the fourth paramita. There were three tombstone dealers in an old town. A passing philosopher asked the first dealer, what are you doing? Can't you see what I'm doing? I'm carving stone, was the first stonecutter's reply. The philosopher went on to the next dealer and asked in the same way, What are you doing? I'm making money, came the answer. Then the philosopher visited the last dealer and asked, What are you doing? I'm building a temple, he replied, carving the stone. And similarly, in this film that we saw, the last stonecutter dealer was a hermit that was said to have been the greatest teacher on the mountain. Very difficult to get to see him. Rarely was his gate open. And at last they were able to go in and meet with him. This hermit first had to deal with the same questions by Edward Berger. So where did you come from? What town did you live in? Where did you grow up? Where were you ordained? Similar to uh, Tozan's 60 Blows case with Umon asking these questions and, Finally saying to Tozan, well, I came from such and such. I grew up such and such. I spent the summer in such and such. I spare you 60 blows. Anyway, this time they didn't say that. And finally, this young man's question was, how long have you been on this mountain? thinking about all the hermits he had interviewed who said six years, eight years, 12 years. So this final hermit had the most beautiful smile. No matter what was asked of him, just had this face, just wreathed in, smile. Right? Right? So his answer to the question, how long have you been on this mountain, was what? Remember? Not long. Not long. <laughs> Not long. How long have you been practicing Zen?